And Father, to hear voices together like this is a grace all unto itself. The fact that we have breath in our lungs, the fact that we have life, God is owing to your grace and your mercy, and we give you thanks. And the fact that, you, that we are able to use the breath you've given to sing a song that's 400 years old, to know that we are not alone in this faith. It's historical. And there are countless millions of fellow brothers and sisters who have counted it a pleasure and a joy to cry out to you through song in singing that hymn. And Father, we do thank you for your grace. We thank you for how so many people who have sung this song for centuries have found in it the unspeakable joys of your mercy and grace for wretched sinners like us. And Lord, when we cease to have words, when we don't even know how to say what we, what we feel, you've given to us, the church, language in your word to communicate whether it be the psalms, or the hymns, or the spiritual songs we sing, we don't merely sing them to you, but we also sing them to one another, as Ephesians 5 says, to encourage one another's faith, to remind one another as we gather in this place that we are not alone, that you have assembled a family, you have assembled the people who are your own and God, we are yours, you are ours. What a joy. And as we think about assembling in your name and we think about what it means to be your treasured possession, God, we also know that you have commissioned us, that you have sent us out on purpose to be in the world as salt and light, to take the gospel to all peoples so that they may enjoy the fullness of Christ in all of life. And Lord, I pray that through our gathering today, through what we have sung, through what we have prayed, the scriptures that were read, the baptism celebration that we just had, and now through the preaching of your word, Lord, you would be pleased to use all of these things to conform us more to the image of Christ. So God, would you work the power of the gospel now? And by your spirit, would you transform us from one degree of glory to another as we behold the mystery and majesty of Christ? And I pray, Lord, that you would embolden your people here at Golden Hills Community Church. That we would be exactly as you want us to be. Reconciled to you, reconciled to one another, and on mission in the world. So Father, bless us, I pray. Teach us, I pray. Grant to us all things, I pray. In accordance with your grace and mercy, we give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, church. It's good to see you all today. Um, in case I have not had the pleasure of meeting you, my name is Phil, and I'm one of the pastors here at Golden Hills, and I have the privilege of uh, preaching God's word today. And last week, we had Justin Hutz, one of our ministry partners, serving in Chad, who was preaching. And uh, next week, Pastor Josh McCullers will be preaching. And so um, it's just a good time for us to continue to hear the word of God uh, being heralded and uh, just really grateful for the opportunity. We are going to continue in our series on the church, and this is week three where we're going to talk about conversion, and I want to encourage you to open 
the Bible to John chapter 3. And as you make your way to John chapter 3, let me tell you about a couple things. Number one is we did have a baptism celebration today. Alexis Alden uh, was baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we as the church affirmed her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was a great time out on the courtyard. If you uh, came early, uh, you were able to participate in that. But what a great, powerful testimony of God's grace in her life. And uh, if you happen to see her, the Alden family, um, I would encourage you to give a welcome and a brotherly hug, sisterly hug of affection. Two things I want to let you know about marriage retreat. Normally we have marriage retreat every single year. Last year with the exception for obvious reasons. This year it's back on. And uh, we were worried about stuff because of the fires up in South Lake Tahoe, which is where marriage retreat happens. But uh, by the grace of God, the, the fires have uh, gone another direction. And so uh, marriage retreat is back on November 12th to the 14th. And uh, if you're interested in signing up, uh, tables out front, you can also register online. And I want to let you know, too, about our Harvest Carnival that's coming up. We normally have this uh, large event on October 31st. I know if I say the word Halloween, I'm going to get the emails of like, do you know? Yes, I know. <laughs> and so that's why I refer to it as Reformation Day. <laughs> and, uh, and people go, what is that? And I go, oh, you didn't know? <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, Reformation Day uh, that is celebrated October 31st. That's where All Hallows Eve started was because um, of Reformation. That was October 31st, November 1st when Martin Luther nailed the 99 Thesis to the Wittenberg door. Um, Bet you didn't know that. Well, some of you did. We're all good. Uh, But anyways, this Harvest Carnival, last year we did something different. We did um, uh, where we had a drive-through, I don't even know, I want to call it trick-or-treating but it kind of wasn't that it was it was yeah it was trunk-or-treating but but I don't even know what it was but we did something it was really cool and uh, we asked people to volunteer to bring their car park in the parking lot and decorate their trunk and people would drive by and we just give out candy well we're going to do something similar to that we're going to still have a bunch of trunks available we're still asking for masses of volunteers to bring their cars and decorate their trunks and dress up as gnomes and whatnot um, and we're going to give out mass amounts of candy. But we're not going to do the drive-through thing. Uh, we'll have the parking lot, parking lot all open. And instead, we're going to fill that entire parking lot where we met outside with cars. And we'll have the trunks open there where we give out candy. We're going to have a ton of games like we normally do all over the, the plaza courtyard area. And we're going to, on Lone Tree, where the grass is and out there, we're going to have a load of inflatables and games and all kinds of stuff out there. And we know that people get hungry. When they get hungry, they get hangry. And so we want to make sure that we, we have uh, ample uh, food options. And so we have some food options and uh, some food trucks that are coming and whatnot. And so you'll have plenty of options there. We are in need of volunteers, as you can tell. We need rapid and uh, vast amounts of generosity in terms of candy. And so if you can purchase some candy, grab some. We also are looking for more volunteers and people willing to serve in some capacity. Bring your car, decorate it, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Last year, the Lord was pleased to use that event to bring. uh, We actually know of one family who uh, was brought to our church and actually came to faith just because they drove through the parking lot and they were overwhelmed by it. So who knows what the Lord will do. and it, I don't know, it's just one of those fun things that we can put on for the community. So uh, I want to encourage you, uh, be generous and uh, be thinking about how you can serve during that time. And in case you're like, when is that again? <laughs> you know exactly when it is. 
This series that we're going through in the church, uh, this is week three. Every single week is building on, on the previous week or is coming alongside of a previous week to help flesh out even more what it is that we've talked about thus far. And so week one, we talked about the church. What is the church? I hesitated to give a definition of the church because sometimes when you define something as big and, and kind of on a complex as the church, you, you tend to, I don't know how... You lose some of it. So what instead, I didn't define the church. I just talked about the nature of the church and different examples of how the New Testament describes the church and helping us grasp the nature of the church. And then last week, Justin Hutz preached on the mission and purpose of the church. And we know now uh, that God has commissioned his church to be salt and light to take the gospel to all peoples, uh, that the transforming power of the gospel will bring people from death to life and what that means for us. And today we're gonna add this which is conversion and one of the reasons why we're going to talk about conversion is because the bible talks quite a bit about things like regeneration which is another word for conversion being born again uh, things like being brought to life or made alive people having faith being caused to be born again all of these kinds of things the bible describes and what we're calling it is conversion or being born again or regeneration things like that so you'll hear me use those words interchangeably we need to, to look at this idea of conversion and the reason why we need to is because those who are members of the household of God, that is those who are in the kingdom of God, those who are saved from their sin and the wrath of God are those who are born again. They are those who have been converted from death to life. It is those who went from hating God to loving God. It is those who are, will be resurrected to eternal life in Christ's name. And there is no confusion about that. That is what it is. But in our culture today, in our world today, we have made believing in Jesus so easy and so simple that there came this thing called easy believism which is simply to say we just, we just lower the bar of belief in Jesus so low that anybody can do it. And yet Jesus actually says, if you don't renounce all that you have, you can't be my disciple. He says things like you have to deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. That doesn't seem like lowering the bar. That seems like raising the bar. And so what ends up happening is we resort then to things like decision cards and hands being raised and praying sinner's prayer and we too soon and too quickly affirm for people that they are indeed born again when in fact they have not produced the fruit of being born again and maybe they're not born again at all. They just are emotionally moved by the music. And if we're not careful, when we tell people you are going to go to heaven because you are moved by music, they may be shocked to find themselves, as Matthew 7 talks about, where they cry out, Lord, Lord. And Jesus says, I never knew you. And so we need to be crystal clear about conversion. Because I don't want to try to convince people who are here today who think they're Christians but aren't. I don't want to try to convince you that you are when you aren't. And part of my job is to convince people who are cultural Christians that they are not saved. And they need to be. You can love Christian community and not love the Christ who makes it possible. You can love Christian music. You can love Christian people in the sense of they're kind and generally nice. And so you can like being around them and you like the music. It doesn't have all those nasty words. You can do all of that and still not be in the kingdom of God. That's a hard truth and a tough pill to swallow but it's true. 
And so today we're going to talk about conversion. I mentioned in week one, there will be things that feel uncomfortable in this series. There are things you will be like, I don't know if I agree with that. Today may be that day. And I will do the best I can to show you from Scripture why I'm saying what I'm saying. God forbid I say anything beyond the bounds of this text. So let's start real quick and look at week one, week two, and see how it fits together with week three. And then we'll jump to, bless you, we'll jump to John chapter three. The first thing I want to say is this, the church is the people of God who are reconciled to God and one another, which is reflected in and through the local church. Now that's a mouthful, I get it. And uh, in August, we learned together that when you are addicted to distraction, you have a hard time listening. So let me say it again. The church is the people of God who are reconciled to God, reconciled to each other, and that is best reflected in and through the local church. A couple things I want to say about this is as we learned in week one, the church, yes, involves individuals, but it's so much more than that. It's an assembly of individuals, and the New Testament describes the church in groupings or pluralities like family, body, assembly, building, gathering, or people. That is the first and primary way in which the church ought to be viewed is not I as an individual am the church, but I as an individual am a member or participant or I am united to this church. And it's only through the local church that Christians can obey God's various commands summarized by this command, love one another. So that's the only way you can do that is in a local church. The second week, Justin Hutz preached on the fact that we are commissioned to take the gospel into all the world so that all peoples may enjoy the fullness of Christ in all of life. He talked about the transforming power of the gospel. He talked about that the church is commissioned to go into all the nations and that the whole reason why we go into the nations is because there's a whole host of billions of people who do not yet worship God. And as he quoted from John Piper, John Piper says this, missions exists because worship does not. The whole point of being a believer in Jesus is that you would be renewed in your heart in order to love God supremely and your neighbor sacrificially. And until your heart is made new, you cannot love God as you ought, nor can you love your neighbor as you ought. And therefore we need new hearts, And we need new loves, as we talked about in August, because our love is a reflection of the condition of our heart, and whatever it is you love most, you worship. Therefore, if you love anything other than God or something other than God supremely, you worship that thing or that person, and therefore you have a worship problem. And we as the church go in order to make worshipers of God. And that's why the purpose of our church here, the local church called Golden Hills Community Church, is to glorify God. We seek to worship God. We seek to bring him maximal praise. And we do that by making disciples who will impact er every area of the world for Christ. We want to go into every area of the world, not just overseas, but across the street, across town, across the bay, across country. And yes, across oceans. We want to impact every area of the world. 
And we want to make disciples wherever we go. And we want to do this for God's glory, not our own. Somebody asked me one time, well, what, what do you think the vision of Golden Hills is? I was asked this by a guy who asked me, can you differentiate between purpose and vision? And I said, I'm not sure what you mean. And man, he was a smart dude. And so he asked me, he said, well, purpose, or he didn't ask me, he told me. It was good. He said, purpose is what a thing is for. But a vision is what's uh, like a, a, an organization is looking towards in the future. And I thought, that's good. I like that. So this is what we're for, to glorify God by making disciples who impact every area of the world for Christ. But what is the future we're looking towards? What is it that we want to see? And so this happens to be, and I talked with the elders about this, and I said, guys, this is, this is what I envision the church of Golden Hills being that we take the gospel into all the world so that all peoples from every tongue, tribe, nation, and people group may enjoy, enjoy the fullness of Christ in all of life. I don't want to give people some half-baked fan-fictional Jesus. I want the whole thing. Because it's only in the fullness of Christ will you find fullness of life. And it's only in the fullness of Christ that you will find fullness of joy. And therefore, if we don't bring the fullness of Christ, we are not bringing the fullness of joy. And we want to see it in the fullness of life. That's why we have the banners out in the courtyard. You can see it. uh, All of life, all for Christ. We need to kind of adopt that way of thinking that there's no part of our lives in which Jesus is not Lord of if we are believers. Everything from the way we do family activities, spend our money and time, what we watch, what we read, how we think, where we work, where we live, why we move, all of these things need to be surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He is either Lord of all or Lord of nothing. And so, all of Christ, we want to talk about Christ's warnings, as we'll see this morning, of the wrath of God and condemnation that comes upon those who will not repent and believe. But simultaneously, we want to talk about the lavish love of Christ in which he went joyfully to the cross to rescue sinners like you and I from that condemnation. We want the fullness in every capacity. And that's what we want to see happen. And we learned in week one that the local church is an assembly but it's also an embassy of God's kingdom. Now, what in the world is an embassy? An embassy is a place in a foreign land which represents another land. So, when we were in Jerusalem a couple years ago, we went to the U.S. embassy in Jerusalem. That means that place is sovereign territory of the United States of America, even though it is in Israel. It's an embassy. The local church is to be viewed as an embassy. We are the representation of the kingdom of God in a foreign land. Therefore, this world is not your home. You are not primarily citizens of this world. You are not primarily American. You are first and foremost, if you are a Christian, a citizen of the kingdom of God. And as such, we read like this in 2 Corinthians 5, very famous verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come, and this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. If the local church is an embassy, then those who are members of that local church are ambassadors. That means you are given the authority by your ruler to represent him or her. And in this case, Jesus is the true king of kings who has given us the authority to represent him in planet earth. And being a representative of Jesus Christ and his kingship and lordship over all things, we gather in his name on the Lord's day as the church to hear from the other kingdom of which we are primarily citizens so that way we can scatter out into this world and be the salt and light that we're called to be. And that's why Paul writes that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and he's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins you see christians are those who have been reconciled to god and each other but they are also those who are citizens of a kingdom that is not of this world it's the kingdom of god's beloved son jesus christ we are transferred from the domain of darkness that's kingdom language to a different kingdom we go from one kingdom to the next let me ask you this question which kingdom are we native to in this text it has to be the domain of darkness that is our native land is the domain of darkness the kingdom of sin and evil but in this foreign land in which we live if we are transferred over to the kingdom of God's beloved son we are therefore citizens of this glorious kingdom And it's this kingdom that Jesus talks about in John chapter 3. In verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. And so it is with everyone who is born of the spirit Nicodemus said to him how can these things be and Jesus answered him are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things <laughs> it's good timing give a public service announcement if you wouldn't mind silencing your phone here's one thing we can one conclusion we can draw from from this text just one just quick observation without being born again without being regenerated without having new birth 
you have no access to the kingdom of God. I don't think that's debatable. I don't think anyone who's just read that would conclude otherwise. Jesus says in verse 7, you must be born again. Verse 3, no one can be born again. Or no one who is born again, excuse me, let me just start over. Unless one is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. I want to make sure we understand this, that when we speak of being born again, it's not some weird thing that happens to you in distinction from or separate from what is called discipleship. There is some strange movement that started with the thing called the Kasich uh, conferences. And I don't want you to worry about all that stuff, but just I want you to know I know of it. And uh, what happens is there's this idea that Jesus can be your savior. You can be born again. But then at some other point in time, you will have this higher life given to you and you will all of a sudden make Jesus your Lord and then you will become his disciple. And so it's like this two-phase kind of thing. Started in like mid-1800s, something like that. And what's really interesting is you don't really see that laid out anywhere in scripture. That, that seems to be just made up because people are trying to figure out why is my church so filled with so many people who don't follow Jesus? It can't be that they're not Christians. It has to be that maybe there's like phases of Christianity like you get saved first and then and then it takes a little while and then you and then you become like really committed primarily when the kids move out like and you got more time and it's it's such a strange phenomenon and and what happens is like I said we we lower the bar when in reality Jesus is always raising the bar I love what James K.A. Smith how he defines discipleship you read this in week three of our study guide Jesus' command to follow him is a command to align our loves and longings with his. To want what God wants, to desire what God desires, to hunger and thirst after God and crave a world where he is all in all. That's what it means to be a follower. That's what it means to be a disciple. And I would say that's what it means to be born again. There's not two phases. You're either born again to new life or you're not. And that seems to be evident everywhere. Let me ask this question. When Jesus says in verse 7, you must be born again, he uses the word must. What makes must so powerful? I'm not talking about odor. (laughs) But why is his must in this text so powerful? forceful you must be born again well what if I'm not then you don't get the kingdom of God you don't get saved you don't get freedom from the tyranny of sin and Satan you don't get life you don't get a clear conscience you don't get forgiveness you don't have your guilt wiped away But let me more clearly go through five reasons why we must be born again. Are you ready for that? Hopefully you downloaded the notes. Uh, You'll want to come back to these. Number one, why must we be born again? And the answer is because we are spiritually dead in our sins. And you are dead in your trespasses and sins, Paul wrote in which you once walked. He's talking to Christians, and so he's defining what it was like before they were born again. He says, you were following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience. 
If you notice, he says you're dead in your trespasses and sins. That, of course, means spiritual death, but sometimes people oppose this and they'll push back on this and they'll say, no, 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 wait a minute, I'm not spiritually dead. I can still do moral things. Yes, you can lie, you can slander, you can tell the truth. But that's not what the text is saying, that you are morally dead or morally lifeless. No, 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 you can do moral things. The text here is talking about spiritual death, which is not physical lifelessness or moral lifelessness. It's spiritual lifelessness. Now, what in the world does that mean? It means basically you are unresponsive to God, which means you do not rejoice in God's grace. You do not glory in God's mercy. You do not treasure God's love. You do not hunger and thirst for righteousness. You do not desire God more than the pleasures of this world. You do not feel the pleasures of God, nor do you want God to be all in all. You're dead. And apart from being born again, you are enslaved to sin and to Satan. That's what it means by following the course of this world, sin, and following the prince of the power of the air, that is Satan. And if you notice the word following there, you see it twice? It's another way to say allegiance. You are committed to, you've confessed allegiance to Satan and sin. You're enslaved to it. And so you don't want God. You don't want the things of God. You don't hunger and thirst for righteousness. You're not enraptured by the grace and mercy and love of God. You're like, eh. Eh? You're dead. Because what we want and what we crave most oftentimes is our phones and what our phones can do. It's our health. Oh, man, if I just, maybe I should do the keto diet. Maybe I should get a Peloton subscription. If I just travel the world, if I just go places, if I see things, man, if our guy or our girl gets in office, man, things will really change. And what we have is a preferred way of life, which we believe if it came to fruition, it would be all satisfying. And the reason we believe those things would be all satisfying is because we fundamentally don't believe Christ is all satisfying. And so you need a supplement. We are spiritually dead. You don't feel anything. Or what you do feel has to be manufactured. We've had people say that about our music sometimes. We just sang a 400-year-old song about the grace of God. Eh. Second reason why we must be born again is because we are objects of God's wrath. I know this is taboo, which means I shouldn't be talking about this. It makes people feel icky. But let's go on to verse 3 among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. We were carrying out the desires of the body and flesh and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. If you recall in in August, we talked about the fact that our desires reveal the condition of our hearts. Do you remember us talking about that in the Witness with Wisdom series? We talked about how our hearts are calibrated to some version of the good life And therefore, that calibration of our hearts creates new loves and desires, which ultimately give expression to the manner in which we live. 
which means you do what you do because you love it. Now, he says here that we live in the passions of our flesh. That is, we're carrying out the desires of the body and mind. We love to do sinful things. We love to be enslaved to Satan. Even if you want to say you don't love that, the reality is this. The reason why we sin is because we love it. You just love it. That's why it's so hard to get rid of because you love it. And we talked about how worship is, is really the fundamental orientation of the heart that finds something or someone of the highest treasure. I think this is the most valuable thing. Whatever that thing is, that is what you worship. And therefore, in this text here, those who are not born again are worshiping sin. They are worshiping Satan. They are not children of God. They are instead children of wrath. Why? Because God is not ultimate to them. God is not all in all. He's not all satisfying. Evidenced by the fact that we do what we want to do and what we want to do is not what God would have us do. Now talking about wrath what does that mean that means the fullness of God's anger towards sin is unleashed in judgment holy righteous judgment upon all perpetrators who sin and that means who do not worship God supremely and we're not supposed to talk about that because I know this is is 2021 and this is archaic and this is out of bounds and can't we just talk about Jesus and about his love And I think one of the things we should appreciate about Jesus' love is how honest he is with us. Uh, Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 3, verse 36. Now in verse 36, we have Jesus having a very clear teaching on the wrath of God. He says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son, and we could say those are parallel ways of saying the same thing, which is if you do not believe or obey the gospel, that is repent and believe in Jesus, you do not have life or you shall not see life. But, he goes on to say, the wrath of God remains on him. Remains. And you guys are smart people, I know that. And you know that when something remains, it means it was there in the first place. And therefore, nobody is born neutral. You're not born spiritually neutral and you're kind of like, depending on my upbringing and, you know, my family of origin and depending on all this kind of stuff, then, you know, I kind of get molded and shaped into sin. And then once I start to sin and all that kind of stuff, then then the wrath of God, I, I get that. That is not what the scriptures are saying. The scriptures are saying your native land is the domain of darkness and because of that, by nature, you are children of wrath. That is to say the wrath of God is on you to begin with. This is hard. Nobody is born spiritually neutral. Everyone is born spiritually dead and unless one is spiritually born again, you will simply remain an object of God's wrath. Therefore, you must be born again or else you face only the wrath of God. Third reason why we must be born again is because we love darkness, that is sin, and we hate light. 
naturally speaking. Being born in the domain of darkness means since I am native to the domain of darkness, I prefer, I want, and I love darkness. We read this, John chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. This is the judgment, Jesus says. The light that is himself, he has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. I think one of the largest reasons why people don't gather on the Lord's day to go to church oftentimes is because there's too much light there. And if I go somewhere where there's going to be too much light, I might be exposed. And yet at the same time, unless we are exposed, we'll never be healed. And so some people will leave, even this service today. Some people will leave today and say, Phil talked about a lot of stuff I don't agree with. It didn't make me feel good and therefore I'm out. Too much light. And I would say, no, no, no. The light is good. It reveals, it heals, it nurtures. But people love darkness rather than the light. They love hiding. They love sin. They do not love light who is Jesus Christ. The fourth reason, if I'm ordering this right, is that we must be born again because otherwise we cannot please God. Here's how Paul put it. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. In other words, there are two kinds of people, those who are in the flesh and those who have the Spirit indwelling them. And those who have the Spirit indwelling them belong to Jesus Christ, evidenced by the Spirit indwelling them. But those who do not have the Holy Spirit indwelling them do not belong to Christ, which means they're not in the kingdom of God, and instead they are in the flesh. And if you are in the flesh, that means, verse 7, you are hostile towards God, you do not submit to God, but then look at this next phrase, you cannot those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Does it say you won't? Does it say you don't? No. It says you can't. That means you don't have the ability to please God. I don't see it any other I don't see how that could be anything other than that. Which means we must be born again in order to please God, in order to obey God. We cannot please God, nor can we obey God apart from the Holy Spirit. And apart from the Holy Spirit, we cannot belong to God. We can't be in his household. We can't be in his kingdom, which means we are not born again. We need to be born again. 
Fifth reason that we must be born again is because we cannot come to Christ nor can we believe in the gospel. I should have fixed this and I forgot to fix it. My apologies. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Chapter 2. Here's what Paul writes. The natural person, which is the person of the flesh, who does not have the Holy Spirit, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. You see, the natural person, the person who is not born again, they do not accept the things of God, not because they're hard to understand, not because they're confusing, but because those who are not born again will find Christianity utterly foolish. <laughs> I've had people tell me this. So like, like you're, people, I've had this exact phrase. You seem like a well-read, educated person. You actually believe this stuff? Yeah, man, I do. I actually believe God of the universe who spoke the heavens into existence actually became a human being and pooped himself and was breastfed and the God who spoke into existence water got thirsty I actually believe the God who created bread hungered the God who is immense and eternal took naps on a boat I believe this God lived a sinless life, never sinning ever. And I believe the same God joyfully and willingly went to a cross to be crucified in order to pay for the sins of sinners and to take upon himself the full wrath of God. I actually believe this. And I actually believe that he was dead and buried in a tomb and three days later he rose from the dead. I actually believe a dead guy wasn't dead anymore. It's not that he was resuscitated. It's that he was dead. And then all of a sudden, dude, you're not dead. And then he hung out with his disciples, ate some broiled fish for 40 days, went to a mountaintop and said, adios, and went up to heaven. And everyone stood there like, whoa. And now he intercedes for us prayerfully. And he told us, one day I'm coming back for you. And someday in the future, he's going to be riding on a white horse with all of his angels and all of the redeemed saints. And we're going to see him and join him in the clouds. And then we will be in the new heavens and new earth. I actually believe this stuff. <laughs> it's some, some of you who are not born again are going, this guy's crazy. It sounds like utter foolishness. It's not because it's confusing, as Paul says, it's because those who are not born again are not able. They cannot understand this stuff. Or as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Let me put it differently because I know actors on the stage can say that. You can say that, anybody can say that. But you can't say Jesus is Lord and mean it without the Holy Spirit. So you must be born again. For being born again, you receive the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit indwells you and indwelling you will enable you to do all that God has asked of you. 
So now I'm going to ask this question. I should have said this in the beginning, my bad. Two questions. One, why do we need to be born again? Number two question is what does it mean to be born again? What is that? And then thirdly, we're going to ask the question, and I will only briefly answer it because we're going to look at it in a couple weeks. How do I know that I'm born again? And that's the question you all want to hear. But first, we need to know what it is. So what is it? What is the new birth? Let's continue on. Um, In verse 2 and 3, this rabbi, uh, Nicodemus calls Jesus a rabbi. We know that you are a teacher come from God. No one can do these signs unless unless God is with him. Jesus says, truly, truly, I tell you, you must be born again. Verse 4, Nicodemus, confused. He can't understand this. He doesn't see what's going on here. He asks this question, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Please don't visualize that. (laughs) That is all kinds of just weird. And it's evidence that Nicodemus doesn't get it. He is not born again. He doesn't understand the things of God. He's like, you mean to tell me? Ah, no way. To which Jesus responds, truly, truly, I say to you, verse 5, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. So what is the new birth? What does it mean to be born again? Firstly, let me say this. It is supernatural. It is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in which the Holy Spirit gives us spiritual life in Jesus' name. It's a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in which the Holy Spirit gives us spiritual life in his name. The reason why I want to emphasize supernatural is because if you look in verse 2, Uh, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and acknowledges that Jesus is a miracle worker. He says, no one can do the signs you do unless God is with you. In other words, Nicodemus, who is not born again, can still see and observe the miraculous. But the difference is, you don't have to be born again to see miracles. You just need to be born again to experience miracles, namely the new birth. And so when people were gathered outside Lazarus' tomb and Jesus comes out and says, Lazarus, come out. A whole bunch of people witnessed this and he came walking out and they gave him some food. Some people went and tattled on Jesus. Other people worshiped him. Why? Because miracles in and of themselves do not require a supernatural work of God to see. But instead... Being born again in order to experience the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit inside of us, you have to be born again. Nicodemus being confused, he doesn't understand the supernatural aspect of this. And that's why Jesus says in verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's natural. Squirrels beget squirrels. I know that word beget. You middle school and high school students are like beget. Beget. Good word. Squirrels beget squirrels. Humans beget humans. Octopus, I don't know what the plural is of that, but 
Octopi, thank you. Um, They beget octopi. And the spirit begets spirit. In other words, in order to be born of the spirit, you have to be born by the spirit. It's only a supernatural work of the spirit that can create spiritual life in us. And so we read something like this. Jesus says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. At all? I receive all of these emails every week about all these ways to make our church awesome. And everyone's, you know, hawking their goods and wares. And they're telling us, if you just did this, you did this, five steps, seven steps. One of them this week was awesome. It said, do you want to experience spiritual revival in your church? And I'm like, yeah. Follow these eight steps and we guarantee it. What? So you can follow eight steps and guarantee revival? That sounds very naturalistic. Step one, two, three, all the way to eight, and therefore, boom, revival. It's almost as if you like, could design a church where you're like, hey, we're going to start at uh, 1030. We'll have some songs, announcement. We'll do this and that. And then uh, right around 1125, the Holy Spirit will descend. <laughs> what? Verse 8 says the wind, which can also be interpreted pneuma, which is spirit, blows where it wishes. You hear it sound, you don't know where it comes from, where it goes. That's how it is with the Spirit of God. You're going to say eight steps and you can control the Spirit? So what you're saying, you can control the wind too? No, you can't. Liar. And if you can't control the wind, you can't control the Spirit. This is a supernatural work of God to be born again. It's not natural. It doesn't come from the flesh. The flesh is no help at all. And in fact, when John closes his letter in the book of John, chapter 20, he says this, that these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, so that by believing you may have life in his name. In other words, it's a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit to give us spiritual life in Jesus' name. It doesn't come by any other way. There is no life to be had. There's no supernatural life to experience. There's no spiritual life apart from Jesus Christ. Look at this. This is the testimony, 1 John 5, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And whoever has the Son, the second person of the Trinity, God in human flesh, they have life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. If you deny the Trinity, you do not have life. Which means these cultish gatherings of like Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons or even Islam, there is no life apart from Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And there's even some so-called Christian denominations like United Pentecostalism, which denies the Trinity. There is no life. And yet what's interesting is from this denomination comes some of the most downloaded worship music on iTunes. And people say from time to time, I feel alive. 
because the music moved me. Please don't confuse the Holy Spirit with entertainment. And please don't confuse feeling inspired with a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, especially when it comes from artists who deny that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. There's no life there. So let's go and look at, that was one answer to what is the new birth. It's a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit by which we receive spiritual life in Jesus' name. Secondly, the new birth is a cleansing and it is a creation. Let's look at this, verse 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus says, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, I know what's going through your mind right now. You're like, does he mean baptism? I I know it. And when people see this, they're like, I wish he would just explain this. I'm going to. I won't do it as much as you probably want me to because we're TikTok, TikTok. And so not TikTok like the stupid dance. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) so here, here we go. What does it mean to be born of the water and the spirit? We have to go backwards in our Bibles, the Old Testament. The prophet Ezekiel, who's talking about the new covenant, he says this, God promises this in the new covenant. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Now, I want to point out that there's two basic things going on here. Two major features of this promise. Number one feature is this. There's a cleansing that happens. God says he will cleanse us from our uncleanness. God will cleanse us from our idolatry. Idolatry is anything in your heart that you find more precious than God himself. God will cleanse us of that idolatry. Your heart is oriented and calibrated to some vision of the good life. And from there you live. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But God says, no, 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 I'm going to cleanse you of all of that false worship. I'm going to cleanse you of loving things you ought not to love. The second feature is this. God will, in verse 27, give us his spirit. And that will cause us to walk in his statutes and be careful to obey his rules. In other words, God cleanses us and then God creates in us. God cleanses our hearts from these idols but he also creates in us new hearts new ways of living and if we have a new heart that means we have new loves new desires new longings new wants new wills you're completely different when the holy spirit washes over you many times today people talk about if you came to jesus you will have a fresh start that's true but there's so much more than that. It's not that you get a new leaf on, uh, lease on life. It is not merely that you get to hit the restart button like you're playing the old Nintendo from the 1980s. You are made new. Not renovated, not rejuvenated. 
you are new. And when we are cleansed from our sin, and when we are created inside of us, given a new heart, everything changes. You see, we are not sinners because we have not yet reached our full potential. We are not sinners because we have not discovered God's wonderful plan for our life. We are not sinners because we haven't achieved the things we sought out to achieve in life. We are not sinners because we do not yet have a life coach that can inspire us to reach the heights. We are sinners because we love those things more than we love God. Because we use God. Because we see God as only a means to an end. We see God as a way to get rich, a way to get healthy, a way to get happy. And we don't see that God in and of himself are the immeasurable riches, are the eternal and filling happiness that we desire. God is most concerned, brothers and sisters, for your holiness, not your happiness. But the odd thing is, your greatest happiness is found in your holiness. And if you think that's foolish, mm -mm. uh uh-oh, uh-oh. So Ezekiel writes that God promises these things. In verse 5, I believe what Jesus is saying is you have to be born of water and spirit. In other words, you have to be born again in order to enter the kingdom of God. And to put it in Ezekiel's terms, you have to be cleansed from your sin and you have to be given the Holy Spirit which will make your heart new and enable you to walk faithfully with God. Or else you don't get the kingdom of God. And lastly, and this is the most unsettling, this will feel awkward. Oh, man. You're going to get squeamish. You're going to move. I'm going to, I can't read and watch at the same time. I wish I had like a mirror. This should be fun. The new birth is a work of God, not of us. Verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes. You hear it sound, you don't know where it comes from, where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Which means the Holy Spirit does whatever he pleases. As the psalmist says, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. God is God and we're not. Let me put it differently from the lips of Jesus. All who did receive him, that is God, who believed in his name, God has given the right to become children of God. And these children of God were born. They're not born of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but they are born of God. Which means you don't decide yourself into the kingdom of God. You don't choose freely of your own volition to be in the kingdom of God. God does it to you. He bears you and you are born again. Because after all, the flesh is no help at all, Jesus said. That is awkward. Some people will want to push back and they'll talk about endlessly about things, whatever, free will and all that stuff. And I just want to say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, God has caused us to be born again. I don't know that there needs to be much more discussion on that. Do you see it? God causes this. 
He is the one who does it. Now, we don't like that. <laughs> and we're like, mm, that makes me feel uncomfortable. Yes. It means you're out of control. It means you have no choice. But we love choice. We love our options. So how does the new birth happen to us? If it's all of God, does it mean nothing of us? No, 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 no. Let's keep going in our Bibles, shall we? How does the new birth happen to us? First, we have to understand that the new birth happens to us because of and through the finished work of Christ. We have to understand its source. Where does it originate? Blessed be God, our Father, uh, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his mercies, caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. We just stop there and say, we have a living hope. What is that like? It is an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. It cannot be taken away. It cannot be diminished. It does not have any kind of deterioration to it. It is an inheritance which is a living hope, which is eternal and secure. Let's keep going. And this is kept in heaven for us who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Let me summarize this by just saying quite simply, we are born again into a living hope which is imperishable, which means it will not die. It is undefiled, which means it will never corrupt. It is unfading, which is it will never diminish in any way. And it's an inheritance in heaven that God by his power is preserving for us. Which means if you have the Holy Spirit living in you, God has given it to you as the deposit guaranteeing what awaits your inheritance is secure. Your inheritance is being guarded. And it is secured and guarded by no other power than God's power. And God has no greater, uh, there is no greater power than God's power. So your eternal security is firm in Christ. So John 10 says this. You're in the Father's hand and you're in the Son's hand. And no one can pluck you out of his hand. If you're born again. If you're born again. And it happens, you notice this little word? I don't, can I draw on this? <gasps> did it work? Oh, it went away. All right, so did you see it? It's through. This happens through the resurrection. You don't do it to yourself. You don't get heaven because of you. It's because Jesus rose from the dead. Because he is risen, there is security. Because he is risen, we have hope. Because he is risen, we know for sure and we are guaranteed all that God has promised to us is yes and amen in Christ. But also we read this knowing that we were ransomed from the feudal ways which were inherited uh, from our forefathers. That is to say, we were living in the domain of darkness, enslaved to sin and Satan, and we had the wrath of God on us. But God ransomed us. God purchased us. God freed us. Not with perishable things like silver or gold, because the flesh is of no help at all. But instead, 
God purchased us, ransomed us, rescued us, restored us, uh, reconciles us with the precious blood of Jesus Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And therefore, because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, he purchases a people and by his blood cleanses those people. And the Holy Spirit then applies that cleansing and in the application of that cleansing and purchasing work of Christ, restores, renews, and grants us new life in Christ by giving us a new heart. And now we are guaranteed and promised because of the indwelling Holy Spirit, just as Christ rose from the dead, so will you. No more fear of death. No more fear of the wrath of God. No more fear of condemnation. If I have Christ, I have life. And the Holy Spirit applies that life to us. Look at how Paul writes, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, that is Jesus, when Jesus showed up, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. In other words, not because you did good things like get baptized. But you get saved because of his own mercy, because of his washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom God pours out richly on us. And now we're justified. And now we are heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Let me do something which I think is awesome. I know that's little, little text. Get your binoculars out. I'm not going to read it all, but I just want to put these things together. Mind-blowing. Titus 3, 5. We are saved. And then I want to jump down to that last line. By... Look at this phrase, washing of regeneration, renewal of the Holy Spirit. Washing of regeneration, renewal of the Holy Spirit. John 3, 5. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit. Ezekiel 36, I will sprinkle clean water on you. Verse 27, and you will have the Holy Spirit. Did you see it? Oh, tell me you did. Regeneration cleansing Holy Spirit renewal the two is what the new birth is all about now how does the new birth come about if the flesh is no help at all God is the one who does it to you it's rooted in Jesus' work it's applied to us by the Holy Spirit well how did what's the instrument how does this come about First Peter 1 So having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, now I could teach on this, but I just want you to trust me for that. If you don't trust me, that's fine. Send an email to me, ask me what the texts are on this, and I'll get it to you. But in this context, what it means to obey the truth is to believe the gospel. And since you've been purified because of your belief in the gospel, your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since... That means what is the foundation of this love, this command to love? It's since you've been born again. Since you've been born again, go and love. You don't love and then get born again. You don't love God and then get born again. 
You get born again and therefore you love God and his people. And you're born again, not of perishable seed, but you are born again through the living and abiding word of God. What is that? Well, this is the word. It's the good news or the gospel that was preached to you. So here's how it works. Your domain in the darkness, that's your citizenship. The wrath of God is upon you. You're feeling the sinfulness of your sin. You're going to face God's judgment and condemnation if you are not born again. But you can't even be born again. You can't even know the things of Christ. You can't even understand them unless God does something to you. And so you're totally helpless. Except for God has designed it in such a way that when the speaking or preaching of the gospel goes forth, the very words themselves with the Holy Spirit himself will awaken new life. So through the speaking, through the gospel, going out to the world, that becomes the very instrument through which God says, wake up. Come out. Come to life. Rise. And so through the preaching of that, we are born again. God is pleased through the preaching of his word to make it effective in people's lives. And so James writes, of his own will, he brought us forth. That is, he gives us new life by the word of truth. That's how God does it. That's why, brothers and sisters, I promise you, I will always preach the gospel so that we will have life in this church. Because there's no other life, there's no other name under heaven given a moment by which we must be saved in Jesus Christ. He is the fullness of joy. He's the fullness of life. He is the end all and be all. He is all in all. He is everything you could want and more. And to go deviating from that is so silly. And so our faith is awakened by the gospel because that is what it means for the gospel to be power. It's so powerful it causes you to go from death to life. Look at the sequencing of this. 1 John 5, 1, everyone who believes, present tense, that Jesus is the Christ has been, past tense, born of God. Do you see it? Everyone who is present tense born of, or excuse me, who believes past tense has been born. Let me put it another way. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, the gospel. Where there is no gospel preaching, there is no spiritual life. It is impossible no matter how inspiring the music may be. So here's what we need to realize. We must be born again. We are powerless to do it ourselves. But thanks be to God who sent his one and only son to secure for us everything necessary to make spiritual life happen. And through the faithful proclamation of that gospel, God will awaken us and in being born again will produce within us the faith which then will lead to love. You have to be born again to believe. And once you believe, it will be evidenced by your love. 
Now, I know you're like, wait a minute. I think it should be faith and then you're born again. Why do you think that? It can't be because of the Bible. Because the Bible clearly says you believe because you have been. All right. So you're thinking, I don't know what you're thinking, but maybe you're thinking this. It seems like it's simultaneous. How can, how can born again lead to faith? Shouldn't faith lead to being born again? My family and I love to go camping and backpacking and stuff. One time we made a faithful decision. Like, it was bad. We went to uh, Lassen National Park during the two-week break in October, and a cold front had swept through. We did not have cold uh, camping gear. We had like 32-degree sleeping bags, and it was like 24 degrees. So I wake up one morning freezing, just literally freezing. Did not sleep through the night. I look over at Heather. Her eyes are wide open. Her lips are all purple. And she's like, can you make the fire? <laughs> I was like, how long have you been sleeping there waiting for the fire? She's like, I don't know that I ever stopped thinking about it. And I was like, I, I'm too cold. <laughs> you go make the fire. <laughs> and, uh, and, so, and so I got up and I went to make the fire. And as I was sitting there making the fire, we, I was cheating. I was like, forget the matches, forget Flint. I'm not doing nothing. I got a torch. <laughs> and so we put what we needed there. And just <laughs> By the way, dryer lint and a used uh, paper towel, like an empty paper towel or empty uh, paper, uh, toilet paper roll, put lint, dryer lint in that. Light that. <laughs> You're like, dang, all right. So boom, I light that thing up. And it was instantly, I thought it was awesome because the moment the fire came, so did two things. This is early in the morning. It's like five something in the morning. I saw light and I felt heat instantly. So let me ask the question. Did the light or the heat cause the fire? Or did the fire cause the heat and the light? Fire caused it. But it was like simultaneous and instantaneous. Yes. So how can they be like one then leads to the other? Yes. <laughs> because the inverse doesn't work. So likewise, that's what it means to be born again. It's like being born again creates the faith which produces the love. And when we reverse that, no, 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 I have faith in order to be born again. No, you don't. You're dead. You don't want God. You don't understand God. You cannot please God. Dead people don't make decisions. You need to be awakened before you decide what to do. But it's simultaneously. And it's like, well, I don't know the difference. That's fine. That's fine. Be born again. It produces love. All right, I got to wrap this up, man. For this is the love of God. That we keep his commandments. Notice this, his commandments are not burdensome. <laughs> Some people are like, yeah, yeah, they are. Why aren't the commandments of God burdensome? Well, they're not burdensome because you desire to do them when you are born again. You see, when you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit living in you and it causes you to walk in obedience. Not against your will, but the Holy Spirit causes you to walk in obedience because it changes your will. And now you want to do the things God tells you to do. 
And therefore, it's not burdensome. Lord, I love, I delight to do your will, as the psalmist says. Your law is a delight to my heart, says the born-again person. Now, what commandments are exactly are we talking about? It says this is the commandment. This is a singular commandment that we do two things. Believe in the name of Jesus Christ and love one another, just as he commanded us. One command with two entities, believe and then love. There's a sequence there, brothers and sisters, which means you cannot love as you ought to unless you have faith, which means you have to be born again. We'll end it there. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It will transform you from the inside out. The Holy Spirit will awaken you to new life, will give you faith in Jesus Christ, causing you to be purified of your sins and desire to walk in holiness. You will be united to Jesus Christ, guaranteed of heaven and eternal life in his name, preserved by God's power to endure throughout your life no matter what comes to the very end, because you are an adopted child of God, reconciled to him and one another, and therefore you are a member of Jesus' body, you are his bride, and he will never, ever let you go. The church is the creature of the gospel. That means the church is what the gospel does. Let me ask you this question. Are you born again? How do I know if I'm born again? Do you love God? John 3, 23. Do you love God? And do you love those who love God? We'll talk more about that. Father, I ask that as we end our service, God, and we close with this song, may what fills our minds in these closing moments truly be a vulnerable, genuine, honest reflection of whether or not we are born again. And so I pray by the Holy Spirit's power, Lord, right now that you would awaken life. I pray right now, Lord, that you would quicken people to faith. I pray that you would grant spiritual life even now, Lord. I pray folks will feel the burden of the sinfulness of their sin God, that they would see that the wrath of God remains on them unless they repent and believe. I pray, Lord, that they would throw themselves upon you for your mercy and grace. And I pray, Lord, they would see the precious beauty, the love in which you have loved us. And while we hated you, we sinned against you, you died for us. More than that, you were raised for us. And so, God, you've come to rescue us from our guilt, from our shame, from our sin, from condemnation, and from the wrath of God. And I pray, Lord, right now that you would grant life to all who need it. Do it, we ask. Lord, we ask, do it right now. Do it. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.